From LibertyCast Studios and the Defenders of Capitalism Project, here's another capital idea from your host, Mike Williams. Mike Williams here, defender and champion of laissez-faire capitalism. This is Michael Williams. Welcome back to the Defenders of Capitalism podcast. This is my capital idea with Mike Williams, and this is where we talk about capitalism defended on a moral and practical basis both. Um, And I'm here with my friend and colleague back in studio, Mitch Whitus. Uh, welcome back, Mitch. It's been a while since we've talked. It's been a very long time. What have it's, you been up to, man? Well, you know, I don't even know. It's like I blinked my eyes and suddenly we had an election and then here we are. You're, you're working too hard. Are you ready for the, uh, the holidays here? I am very ready for the holidays. I've been working hard. I've been being a good capitalist, but I'm ready to take a little break. That's good. It's better, it's better to be a good capitalist than to be a better commenter on capitalism, but we're, both, we're doing both today. We're, uh, we're definitely going to be talking about... The election, um, yeah, th- it's been a it's been a couple weeks since the election, and uh, things have kind of calmed down. It looks like most of it's over right now, right? And I thought it would be worthwhile for us to to just have a little bit of a dialogue and a conversation about um, the 2022 election results and what it looks like going forward, and and mainly from a capitalist perspective. Although you know, it's weird because. We're such a minority these days. I mean, there aren't too many people who look at the election through the eyes of individual rights and freedom. Uh, it's more. It seems like it's more and more. Okay, which team are you on, and uh, did you, you know, did your team win uh, versus did the right ideas prevail? Well, if the Republicans won, Mike, then individual rights won, right? Is that what you say? Is that what you, uh, that's, you, you that's sound, what you I look hear. like? You have a little bit of a tongue in your cheek right now. Yeah, a little. Yeah. I mean, that, that used to be the case. I used yeah. to think that, that uh, at least on the margin, um, when Republicans won, that meant the, the fight for freedom and individual rights had an had a advocate. I don't necessarily think that anymore. I don't, I don't really see too many uh, candidates, uh, certainly on the national or uh, even the state uh, level, that really get this uh, get this principle, but that's why we have uh, have this whole pur- our purpose on our charter is to educate people on the the proper role of government and what their elected officials should be voting for, what they can even vote for. Right? I mean, that's part of the that's part of the whole idea behind the the Constitution in the first place is you know what is the role of government versus what is the role of a free citizen. And we're going to talk about that, you know, especially in the context of an election. You know, what what, what does it mean to have uh, someone voting in an election? But you're right; the Republicans won, uh, at least in the House. Uh, it's interesting because there was so much buildup about this to be a big red wave or red tsunami, uh, and it certainly didn't turn out that way. Yeah, it was a ripple, <laughs> a red ripple. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it's weird how that happened because I, I for one, I guess maybe I bought into what was happening. I don't know. I've heard some people on the right say, well, the, the I mean, yeah, the, we're going to talk about obviously there are people on the right who are still uh, accusing election officials of defrauding things and, you know, election, election fraud and um, stealing the election and so forth. Um, but there are a lot of people who are, who are not making that accusation, but they do say that the left has the media on their side, which I agree with. The, the, most of the major media is uh, sympathetic with people who are on the Democratic side, on the leftist side. 
and they were kind of building that up to put the Republicans more at ease and think, oh, we got this in the bag. But it certainly didn't turn out to be a red wave. The Republicans barely took the House. It looks like that's done, right? Yeah, they. we know now most of the dust has settled. So we know that Republicans have taken back control of the House. We know that Kevin McCarthy will be Speaker. Mm-hmm. We know that Democrats will maintain the Senate, but there is a runoff election in Georgia. What so, a quality quality field of candidates that was. <laughs> yeah. Although that's I we could say that across the board uh, lots of and and I actually I'm not a huge fan of Mitch McConnell, but I think he was right uh, early on in the election. I'm not sure it was the right strategic move, but uh, I think it was right to say, you know, we've we've got some problems especially at the Senate level with some of the quality of our candidates, uh, you know, Pennsylvania and, and certainly Georgia, um, to a good examples of that. And that's what I've heard is that, you know, why wasn't there a red tsunami like we had in 2010? Yeah. It was massive, massive red wave in 2010. And like we've been saying, it was more of a, a ripple, a trickle into the house this year. And so I think course it's easy to say oh here's what happened and i've heard a lot a lot of people give their theories but there there has been a lot of talk too on you know if you don't have quality candidates does that hurt you all things equal and i think there's a compelling case to be made for that yeah i think that's true and 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 you know the the particular reason why some of those candidates weren't judged to be quality well aside from that they weren't quality but but also the endorsement of Trump, and we can get into the whole Trump influence on this election. I think it, I think it looms large. I think I that think the so. whole, the whole election does have. It's amazing how that guy still has some, has some power over our politics. Uh, I, from my perspective, you know, the Democrats uh, can't live without him. <laughs> they, you know, they really uh, don't have a big issue. They certainly have a number of uh, one issue type attractions to people certainly the the issue of uh reproductive rights and abortion um there there's a number of people who vote on just those single issues um but mostly it seems like animation uh on the left you know to to be against trump um and i think that's partly what trump's appeal has been on the right you know he's not biden or he's not the He's not the left. Um, so you have all these people out there voting for, voting against something rather than for something. I wanted to ask you, though, you mentioned you know, McCarthy's going to be the Speaker of the House now. I, I wanted to ask you if you have a particular opinion about Kevin McCarthy. I don't know that I really have a strong opinion on Kevin McCarthy. I think that, at least from how I see things today, it seems unlikely to keep the entire caucus together because only a few Republicans need to strip off on certain votes and he loses control of the House. So barring uh, uh, something unexpected, which is possible, I've been wrong before, but barring something unexpected, I don't see him being a particularly powerful speaker of the House, particularly effective. I I highly doubt that. Yeah, and I, and I'm, I don't think he's... Uh... I'm not a fan of his, and so I don't think he's uh, someone who's a really good advocate for freedom in the first place. No. Uh, you, know, you have this whole Freedom Caucus in the House, which, I mean, I like the name of. I think I like the roots of. They've got a lot of whack jobs, in my view. Uh, yeah. But they also have some good people. I mean, some relatively good people who are uh, you know, considered to be more extreme on the right, but they're, they are more for freedom, in my view. It's interesting how the... The House Freedom Caucus, I think, really was born out of the Tea Party, which had, in my my view, 
originally some really positive uh, positive roots and positive uh, momentum uh, toward the idea of freedom and individual rights and, and capitalism. I think that's been co-opted mostly, um, and now they, they advocate for a lot of uh, unfree things. But there are definitely still, still people there. And, and that, this is the whole point about uh, uh, new, new Speaker McCarthy, once he's, he's uh, put in as the new Speaker, you know, having to deal with that element of the, the House, the Republican House majority, slim majority as it might be, um, it looks like they're actually making some proposals in terms of rules and processes that make sense to me. Um, one fear that people have is that you know, if, if that Freedom Caucus or if the Republicans had really had a red tsunami or red wave, then you'd have these massive budget battles and really debt ceiling battles next year that a lot of a lot of people feel like are irresponsible on the part of Republicans for saying, oh, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling. That's a whole different topic, but I think it's, it is important to, to acknowledge that that's part of one of the fundamental problems we have right now is government not, not, not staying within its means, not actually, uh, no matter how much they tax, they end up spending more than that, and then they have to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, that's that's a looming issue uh, in politics for the next probably as long as I'm alive. Yeah, I I think that's a great point, Mike, and I'd I'd like to talk about that in a little bit more detail. Before we get into that, I just want to mention two other things that I think were really interesting that happened in this election. One, the Democrats will maintain the Senate, so that didn't seem like that was necessarily something that was going to happen, and that gives Biden probably a lot more lee- leeway in a lot of his judicial nominees, mm-hmm. which may, may not be a good thing. Probably not, if you're, if you're a fan of freedom, although, again, um, no one really is, so... Yeah. Um, but but I, I agree with you. I think that's probably not a good thing. I think it would have been better if the Senate could have been uh, taken by the, by the Republicans. And I'm, I'm interrupting your train of thought, Mitch, but... But I, uh, you know, in my own world, when I think about economics and, and prosperity, I think it's been pretty well established for, for a long time that the economy does better when we have uh, a gridlock and a split, split government, uh, especially when we ha- seem to have a Democratic president and the House and the Senate controlled by the Republicans, and then they start acting like Republicans as we used to know them or we, as we yeah. described them earlier. So Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think when you have a split Congress or a different party controlling the White House than controls Congress, suddenly everybody stops spending like drunken sailors. Yeah. I think that's great. But it's interesting how, you know, if you ask most Americans, uh, if I ask, uh, you know, people I know, my clients or whatever, uh, you know, how they feel about government, a lot of times they're like, well, I wish they wouldn't fight so much and I wish they would just get more done. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't. I want them to get less done. <laughs> I'm okay with this gridlock. I'm actually in favor of politicians in Washington who want to control our money and our lives, uh, fighting things out and, and coming to a stalemate and not really getting much done. I think that, and, and again, uh, it's not just me. I think, that's, if, I think that's empirically proven that our economy does better in that kind of environment. So in one sense, that's a victory for, for people who are for freedom, that we do have a little bit of a split government. You know, Biden Biden was weak even with controlling the House and Senate, and he's a little bit weaker now. But as you mentioned, you know, he's still got a little bit uh, of leeway in terms of what he can do with uh, the Senate and, and court nominations and a couple other issues like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something else, too, that happened this election, which I found interesting, and, and something that did worry me, we had lots of candidates you know, 
Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, some other states as well, who were the uh, quote-unquote election denier candidates who had the backing of Donald Trump, who some of them said they wouldn't have certified the 2020 election, and there, I think, was legitimate concern what happens in 2024. Um, I think the Nevada Secretary of State candidate said, uh, well, we need to make sure that we certify the right outcome. Right. And by right, I assume whatever outcome he thinks is was that the same character who said, you know, if if we if we can pull this off, then there'll be never there'll never be another Democratic victory. Yet. I'm not sure. One I'm of them sure. said that, and you know, that doesn't bode well for for someone who's actually trying to uh, say they're in defense of freedom. That's for sure. Um, but you're right. Uh, this is a real positive development in my view that the people who were most vehement about election fraud and election denial um were handled loss and yeah. um and i think that's that's healthy in the sense that the american public are saying look we trust enough of the system and and there were so many examples of courts court, you know courts that were uh, uh judges who were nom- who were put in place by trump there were republicans all over the place who were investigating this you know, supposed steal of the 2020 election who just, there was no there there. And it feels like that's starting to be put to bed. I, I know there, I know personally lots of people who still believe that it was stolen and will probably continue to hold on to that. But it feels like that narrative uh, is being put to bed. Um, and I think that's a healthy thing. I do think, you know, election integrity is an important issue. Uh, and I'm uh, you. You've heard me talk about. I, I actually don't think there should be mail-in ballots. I don't think there. I think there should be one day to vote, and it's a paper ballot, and and voting should actually mean something. And um, but my view is not prevailing right now. And um, you know, there's certainly an argument to say, you know, let's have have more people involved and let's make it easier. Not why why would we want to make it uh, so difficult to vote? And are you are you discriminated against people who have less time or resources to get to the polls or whatever? Uh, but that that does seem to be um, that that whole narrative of election fraud seems to be um, waning some, and certainly the power that uh, Trump has has wielded uh, is waning some as well. Although he, uh, you know, the, the other issue is he he just announced to to run again. Yeah, he did, and that leads to something else I think is really interesting in this election that I didn't even mention before, but this little red ripple all around the country, in one state, it actually was more of a crushing victory. And that was in now Donald Trump's home state of Florida, where, led by Governor Ron DeSantis, Republicans really swept. Yeah, they did. And that is going to set up I think most commentators believe a very interesting battle between DeSantis and Trump. That's what it looks like. Although I've heard some people um, who are Trump fans saying, "Well, here's what ha- here's what we should have is a Trump DeSantis ticket," you know, yeah. and that that would be like the the dream team or whatever. Um, I don't. Uh, hopefully, I've also heard some people say about DeSantis that you know, even even though he had this wonderful victory by such a huge margin, even though he's you know, sort of the new up-and-comer to to challenge Trump uh, if Trump is running that DeSantis won't. I think since Trump has announced uh, the behavior we've seen from DeSantis uh, indicates that he's not going to be intimidated by that or he's not going to say, oh, no. I mean, I, I think he's reading 
reading the country right right now and and saying you know I it looks like he's setting himself up to run and and not as any part of the Trump ticket and so I agree with it that's that, that could be a battle now whether DeSantis is a whole lot better than Trump uh, remains to be seen I so far I believe he is um, but you know there there are certain individual issues that I think well I want to see more about whether he really understands the the cause of freedom that he talks about or not. Yeah, I I agree, Mike. I think there is still (laughs) some cause for concern there. But what I do have to say about DeSantis in general is that I do think policy-wise, I think he's just generally better at getting into policy, you know, as governor, actually getting things through the legislature. And I frankly, I don't think Trump knows anything about politics, even though he's president. I'm not even sure if he's read through the Constitution. Well, I, so you're, you're saying he doesn't know anything about policy. He well, certainly knows about politics. He does, and marketing. Yeah, yes, exactly. But in terms of actual how government works, what is conservative policy, I would have a little bit more faith that DeSantis probably has some Absolutely. more Absolutely. He's a lot smarter, there. right? He's yeah. a lot smarter. Although, you know, uh, some people say that, you know, Trump has that certain kind of intelligence. Uh, he's certainly, I mean, what's what, what's amazing to me is how many people who are virtually worshipers of Trump mm-hmm. before 2016 would have never even associated with the guy, you know, no. including the, the religious right. right. Well, you know, I mean, he used are, to be a Democrat. Yeah, he, he used to be a Democrat. Um, you know, he doesn't really stand for many things other than how does he get the most attention? Yeah, he was. How does he be the center of the attention? Um, and, you know, it, it's weird how our current culture is reflected in people like that. Absolutely. Unfortunately, unfortunately. I mean, you know, we, we, uh, we've gotten to the point where we have very short attention spans. We worship here, you know, we worship not what I would call genuine heroics, but he, we worship the celebrity culture, and and we have this social media image of what people are supposed to be like, and he just tapped into that. He did to his credit. To his credit, yeah. Um, but I agree with you. He he, did, he knows he seems to know very little, or has very little interest, really, in ideology. I mean, he, he he's not really ideological. Uh, it's more about what can he do to gain power or gain attention for himself. Uh, but he's running again, um, and that will make it an interesting election two years from now. So we, we want to touch on some of these election deniers a little bit more. Um, you know, we mentioned uh, we mentioned the runoff that's going to be happening in Georgia. We we should talk about Arizona a little bit more. You mentioned the the uh, um, you know what was going on there. You know, you before we started this show, we were talking about how how Arizona itself seemed like they took forever to get that that election count done. Yeah. And you, know, you hear people on the left and the right saying, giving their own excuses as to why that happened. I mean, the right wing people are saying, look, you, you know, it was 2020 and they were very slow. Why couldn't they take, you know, two years to get that right? And I think there's a reasonable accusation. And, and it was the governor, it was the candidate uh, for governor in Arizona who the woman was the uh, attorney general no, who Hobbs. was yeah, yeah. partly responsible for getting that right in the first place, right? And then you have uh, you have the left saying, "Well, because there was so much uh, unfounded accusations against uh, the election integrity, that we wanted to you know take our time this time." So it was interesting to see that. Uh, but uh, it looks like Carrie Lake, the the election denier Republican candidate, is not going to win, and she still isn't conceding, from what I can tell. Now she's going to lawyer up. 
Yeah. So that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I don't think either one of those are really great candidates. I mean, I think, uh, um, but it does look like Arizona soundly, uh, as soundly as it could, because I realize there's a lot of very conservative people down there. Um, but as soundly as it could said, you know, no to this idea of, uh, you know, denialism, election deniers. And I want to touch on that, Mike, because this, I think, is a very important point. For a lot of people, I think they could be very conservative or defenders of capitalism. And people might be listening to us and say, well, wouldn't you just want these secretary of state candidates in? Because then they're more likely to let the conservative candidates win. You don't have to worry about the progressives winning. I mean, isn't that what you want? We could get the economy rolling again. But there is something about being a defender of capitalism that means following the rule of law. Absolutely. And when you don't have the rule of law, eventually that breaks down for everybody, not just the other tribe that you don't like. That's absolutely true. And and it's interesting because I was... Uh, Talking to uh, a group this past week about you know the essentials of what capitalism is, and I was trying to get that group to realize that you know you could talk about conservative values, and you could talk small government, you could talk about um, you know lower taxes, lower regulation, which are all absolutely part of uh, championing a free market and capitalism. But that those aren't the essential things. The essential thing is individual rights being protected by the proper role of government, which means the rule of law. And you're exactly right. Um, we we can't we can't like the rule of law when it's kind of in our favor, and then reject it when there, there's some political opponent who's who's winning, uh, and and then twist the rule of law to to try to keep them out of office. And and that's partly what both parties have done is have shelved that rule of law in many cases. And that's why we're in the soup we're in right now, and don't have don't have anything close to capitalism. Um, so the, there's some, you know, when we look at this election, there's some uh, some good news and some bad news. Um, for those who think that the the woke left is such a danger, and I'm one of those. I think that uh, the left is is uh, really confused about what the role of government is, and confused about uh, terminology, uh, con- basic concepts and in many cases are trying to destroy uh, people's ability to think. But, but again, the right is adopting some of the same tactics, and that's, that's, uh, that's no way to preserve freedom. Yeah, I, I agree. So I just wanted to make sure that we made that point very emphatically, because just because someone might favor a more conservative candidate to win— doesn't mean that it's good in the short or long run to pursue extra legal means to make that happen. Absolutely. So this whole Trump candidacy it looks interesting because a lot of his, a lot of his uh, fans, a lot of his, you know, uh, people who are in the media on the conservative side seem to be softening uh, their support for him. Maybe even more explicitly than that. I mean, I know the whole Rupert Murdoch um, Empire. news. Yeah, the whole empire he controls has gotten, to some degree, and maybe uh, in many ways, as I say, fairly explicitly, telling him to you know it's not his time anymore. You know they're not going to support him. They're not going to carry his water. You know, and in fact, they're going to, uh, in many ways, attack him as he should be attacked. Yeah, and the the post ran a headline when Ron DeSantis won so convincingly in his own election for governor, re-election, I should say. The Post ran a headline that said, The Future. <laughs> and then when Trump announced for president a week later, it, it ran something that said, like, Florida man makes announcement. 
you know, it's very clear that something has shifted here. It has, and uh, it's probably going to take uh, that kind of a primary, right? I mean, I, I doubt that uh, Trump is going to say, well, no one loves me anymore. Oh. And, uh, and and the, the fact is there will be, my bet is there still will be plenty of throngs who will go out to see him in stadiums and, and there'll still be lots of people who worship Trump, but it, it's going to take that kind of a primary victory by DeSantis or someone for Trump to, to, to get it. Well, even then, I'm not sure that he'll get it, but at least maybe he'll fade away. A little bit. Yeah, I think I think he I think he would get it. I, he's played that card as far as he can get. You know, the election uh, was stolen from me, and if DeSantis wins or somebody else beats him in a primary, I think that uh, that would be the the end of his political career. But you might be right. Maybe he'd be he and his uh, followers would would continue to push that narrative. Well, I don't know. I think the man has the mentality of a four year old. So yeah. And it's you know it's interesting because um, the, there's so many people out there who might be listening to a podcast like this saying, okay, they're champions of capitalism, and wait, isn't Trump the capitalist? Isn't he the capitalist guy? And isn't he don't for- you see? <laughs> don't you see that Trump is the man who's going to destroy the woke left that Mike hates so much? That's right, and he's right. I do I do hate the woke left, but that, this is no way around. And 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 it's it's just a fallacy to to believe that this man stands for for uh, capitalism or freedom in any real sense of the word. So let's talk about the election more broadly in terms of how uh, a person who is an advocate for freedom should view this election and more, maybe more importantly, the entire kind of context of of the culture that we're living in right now. Yeah, I think that sounds good, Mike, because we touched on rule of law. And I think in some ways the election was probably positive in some states for maybe hopefully at least maintaining some semblance of rule of law, at least when we get to the 2024 election. So for me, I thought there was some positive there that some of these crazy wackos lost. But in my mind, and I want to get your thoughts, it seems like in regard to just property rights, free enterprise, sound money, no matter who won the election, I feel as though defenders of capitalism probably lost. Yeah, if, if if people who are championing freedom are looking for uh, political solutions at this point, that they're going to be disappointed. Um, no matter who wins, they're going to be disappointed, and and that isn't to advocate that they they look for that they don't participate. I still vote, you know. Uh, although I don't I don't uh, chastise people who, who don't vote like some people I know, and and and, and frankly, I I think both of us. I think you were raised to, to think of yourself as a citizen and to, that this is an important part of being an American is to, yeah. to learn about what's going on in the world, be conscious of the, of the news generally, uh, and, and to participate and to be engaged as a citizen and to vote and to, and to vote based on you know, some research and thought about what, what's going on in the world. And I do, I do think that's important. I raise my kids to think that's important. But I also don't chastise someone who says, you know, I've got more important things to do in my life. Um, I'm, I would much rather have someone be productive in their business, productive in their relationships. You know, uh, that to me is more important as a citizen, really, than just voting. I agree. That said... Um, we should talk about, okay, voting does is the process where we place people who have enormous control over our lives uh, in the long run, and the trends aren't good. You know, a person who's advocating for freedom, in my view, can't put all their eggs in that 
you know, every two or four year basket of, you know, did our, did my team win? Because there is no team right now that really represents in any meaningful, strong, consistent, uh, contrasting way to the other, other team that's up there, uh, for freedom. Um, and that's part of an educational process that we're, that we're part of. Well, let's dig into that too, Mike, because, you know, talking about there's no meaningful contrast in the run up to the election, House Republicans, Kevin McCarthy, releases what they call a promise to America, hearkening back to Newt Gingrich's 94 contract with America. And in this promise to America, they say lots of nice things. They're going to cut inflation. They're going to lower health care prices. But here's what I think you're getting at, Mike, and correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but our inflation problem is not just due to Democrats. Yes, there's been some inflationary bills that have come through during Biden's term, but there were also a lot of inflationary things that happened during Trump's term, along with some heavy emphasis on keeping money very cheap. Trump himself said that he wanted interest rates to be very low. So the idea that there's two things here for me. The idea that there's this promise to America that's going to cut inflation, lower healthcare prices. I mean, that does all sound good on paper, but these people saying this were part of the problem four years ago. Absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing, one of the major things that uh, we are advocating people do is to think past what the promises are, what's being said, and actually do a little bit of reading and, 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 and understanding cause and effect. I mean, you mentioned you know, Trump, but, but inflation has been really uh, a phenomena for a long time that has been building. Now, we've had relatively low nominal inflation for a while. Uh, and that's why what makes this time kind of interesting because now we don't. Now we're, we're seeing substantial inflation. Most recently, it, it moderated a little bit. It'll be interesting to see whether that actually has any momentum. I, I actually think we haven't seen the worst of, of this cycle yet. Um, I think it's possible we'll see double-digit inflation. But the if, if people understand what causes inflation, they'll realize that, the, that this inflation we're experiencing right now was even born during the Bush years. Oh, yeah. Certainly under Obama. Everyone since Bush has been setting new records as far as printing money and making promises with that money. And that's taken a while. It's taken a while to, to turn into uh, the kind of significant increases in costs we're seeing in the, in the most basic things that people... Uh, need to live on and that's what you know the sometimes the core inflation numbers actually need to reflect but but it's been uh you use the term drunken sailor and we've had drunken sailors in the the white house and really in the congress for a long time we have and that's a great point mike because you know i i mentioned trump and i don't think trump helped the inflation cause but this does certainly go back to 07 08 and even before that, government spending was already getting out of control during the George W. Bush administration. So it's nothing new. It's been building up for a long time under both Republican and Democrat administrations. And so that's where I just see the insanity, the silliness of people saying we're going to cut inflation. Well, I agree we should cut inflation, but how about we get some more? people in office who didn't have anything to do with creating that inflation in the first place. Or who even, who even understand the cause of inflation. Right. You know, the, it, it is fascinating to me to watch how brazen they are, though. I mean, the latest thing that passed with with Biden was called the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> and, and it, and yes. it, 
was kind of like a cherry on top of all the spending that's gone on for the last you know 20 years, um, just cronyism left and right and unnecessary spending. Now, again, that's something that uh, that most of most of the candidates out there don't realize, uh, don't either understand or just willfully ignore. And we de- we definitely need a whole a whole new batch of candidates and public policy leaders who have a better understanding of what uh, what what is the cause of inflation and what is the cause of of uh, prosperity. And this is the problem, I would argue, and I think you would probably argue too, with the Federal Reserve in general and the threat that it can serve towards having sound money because yeah. you have a board of people who are deciding, I don't know, for lack of a better term, what the cost of money will be for people not even just nationwide, but essentially worldwide. Yep. This small group of people is deciding how much money is going to cost. No, no, some people, because it, I mean, this gets really complicated. And I'm always trying to read up on it because I don't understand fully how, how all the systems intertwine and what's going on all the time. But I think people might say, what do you mean, what does money cost? You know, money is money, a dollar is a dollar. Well, it turns out it's not, really. And we have this Federal Reserve that is unelected, it is appointed the the president gets to gets to appoint the chair and you know there's there's a bunch of different people in the federal reserve there's different presidents yeah, he nominates all of them and yeah. uh, and the senate you know has some kind of uh, consent to them um, but you're right it's not it's it's a very political entity and and you're right i mean it's a complicated conversation but it boils down to we do not have sound money right now and this is again a, a, an educational process. Most most people have have you know grown up with the idea of okay, we have these paper dollars and our government can create money and the banking system can create money this way, and they can't imagine it not being centrally planned. They can't imagine that you have uh, a free market in in a monetary system. We should maybe do a whole podcast op- episode on the on, on central banking itself. And what it means to have free banking, what it means to actually have a free market in the cost of money or in money itself. It, it, it's interesting, though, but people who travel or people who think in terms of other currencies or now that we have this whole phenomenon of cur- cryptocurrency, although that's turning into a big disaster right now in many ways, people start are starting to think about, well, wait, okay, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be priced in dollars. I mean, I, this is a, a thing... A point I make to a lot of a lot of people in investments is, you know, if you look just right now over the last just year to date, if you look at the price of silver or the price of gold in dollars, it doesn't look like it's done very well because the, the dollar has been particularly strong this year. But if you look at any other chart, if you look at uh, gold in lira or gold in pounds or gold in renminbi or whatever it might be, gold has actually done very well. And so th- th- the only point I'm making is that people have to realize that there's different ways of equating or putting on the same scale, okay, what is this worth? Is it, does it mean dollars are, are getting stronger or weaker? We've had this phenomenon lately of the dollar getting stronger. Most economists that I, uh, I respect believe that's going to be a fairly short-lived phenomenon, that the dollar will, be, will begin to weaken over the course of the next couple of years. Um, but that, that whole argument, that whole line of thinking is complex. It's it is important to note that many of the the people who've 
been the drunkenest of sailors uh, uh, have been Republicans. Um, uh, people like uh, Greenspan, you know, was was appointed to the Federal Reserve, and he was he was thought to be you know this free market guy and and very much someone who. Uh, in fact, when he went in, he, his ideology before he was appointed to the Federal Reserve was that the, we should get rid of central banking. Uh, lo and behold, once he got the seat of power, he didn't decide that that was so important. And that's, that's always what happens with these guys is they, they seem to spout some kind of uh, free market ideology until they're the one who is in charge. And then they think, well, the, maybe there doesn't need to be so much freedom out there. I can make the right call. Um, but that you bring up that whole issue of monetary uh, influences uh, that are as important as any election. I mean, it, it's it, the Federal Reserve uh, chairman is probably as or more important in one sense uh, as the the president of the United States, who you know most people think of as the most powerful person in the world. Yeah, and bringing it back to the election too, in terms of monetary policy in terms of what our interest rates are. We have an unelected group that is helping. They're not setting every single interest rate that we see, but they are influencing interest rates for our houses and our cars and all kinds of other kinds of loans. And we have no recourse at the ballot box, <laughs> really, to express any sort of displeasure towards this or anything. Well, we do in the sense that, and that's what, what, what a lot of Republicans were counting on, right? They were saying, Okay, now here it is in a concrete way. You're seeing the price of gas go up, and I'll put a little sticker on the gas station and say this is Biden's fault. Yeah. Or your your cost of living in so many ways is going up, and and once people feel that pain, they typically would punish someone like a Biden, who's who's absolutely horrible as a president and and weak in so many ways, and and horrible in terms of uh, you know freedom. But he didn't get punished because there was a bigger bigger force that Americans saw, and I think rightly, you and I agree rightly so, of, yeah. of well, you know, he's he's horrible, but he's maybe not as bad as this trend toward um, reducing the rule of law. Um, yeah, a and, true just authoritarianism. Right, exactly. Yeah. So what's a, what's a defender of capitalism to do in terms of elections? You, you do have to think in terms of, well, okay, on balance, I'm going to vote for this candidate in this election. I do think it's it's very important for people to think strategically about their vote. There are times when I think someone should be punished, uh, you know, and not that one person uh, in any one election is going to make that big a difference. One vote often, most often, doesn't make a difference. Although I did hear I did hear a uh, a state representative race in Connecticut uh, actually, you know, went down to the wire, had a recount. It was like several hundred votes, and then they did the balance it out and, you know, curing of votes and went through that whole process. And it actually did win. The one candidate won by one vote. That's pretty amazing. And even here in Colorado, we had a congressional race that I don't know if final totals have been announced yet, but it came down to less than a thousand votes. So I, you know, that's obviously more than one vote, but still yeah. that's pretty darn close. Yeah, and you, so your vote can make a difference. And, and if you can influence enough people to vote similarly to you in, in a strategic way, you can punish candidates. And, and I think that's sometimes what happens is, you know, people uh, in the aggregate will, will be able to punish who they, who they think or reward, uh, you know, someone who's got better policies or better thoughts. Um, and that's what you have to do in terms of the election. Well, what about not just looking at the Trump versus DeSantis, but do you think it will be good to look at Florida the next two years, four years, and kind of see what happens there under 
a solid Republican administration, conservative administration, and try to see what's happening there versus maybe in other states? I think it really will be interesting to watch. And and what I'll be looking for, and what I think any any person who really is a champion of free markets, capitalism, individual rights, as we are, will will be looking for for DeSantis to even consolidate his his power and his influence in Florida as a champion of freedom. So cutting cutting back more on regulations, what can he do in that way? But if he if he starts to try to attract even more the the base that Trump tried to attract of someone who's more authoritarian or someone who's who's uh, going to do this big um, culture war type of thing, I, I think that'll be a mistake. Um, and I, I won't find him myself as, a, as attractive of a candidate. I mean, there's, there's lots of culture war that's going on right now that I agree with DeSantis on or agree with the right and Republicans on. I think, again, I, you said it early on, I'm, I'm, I, I think the, the woke left is really, a, really a dangerous thing. Um, but I don't think DeSantis will do himself any favors by by spending a lot of his time and political capital on the culture war uh, versus the blocking and tackling of doing a competent job of of what he's there for. And, and, and if he can, I mean, in his acceptance speech, I thought it was pretty good. I, I thought his acceptance speech said, you know, we're winning here because we're we're championing freedom. And if he if he keeps that tone, and he means it, I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, Trump says the same thing, Biden says the same thing. You know, good God, you know, you have Elizabeth Warren saying she's for capitalism, right? Yeah. Uh, so, and you have, you know, here in Colorado, we have uh, Polis, who's who's saying he's a he's a libertarian. Yeah, he's a libertarian. Yeah, he's for right. he's for freedom. He's for cutting taxes. He's for less regulation. He's for all kinds of things. It's amazing how they they and I say politicians on both sides will adopt these positions, especially at the last minute when they seem to be popular and they can co-opt them. And if they're, if they're good, if they're good uh, persuaders, they get away with that. They, they're slippery and they can get away with that rather than uh, the public looking at their actual record. Um, but in my, my view, uh, DeSantis will do better if he, if he uh, keeps tapping into that aspirational nature of Americans, Floridians, but Americans generally, of of having uh, a better life themselves, um, versus focusing on the differences and and the culture wars that he, that sometimes he can be drawn into. You brought up Colorado, and I I want to ask you, Mike, for those of us defenders of capitalism in Colorado, is the situation hopeless or just mostly hopeless? <laughs> well, it certainly you know people uh, use the the terms red and blue, and it certainly looks like a blue state right now, and and. I think there's many of us, and I would put myself in this category, who thought, well, it really is, uh, it is dire uh, because of the state legislature and the, the strength of the Democratic Party in Colorado um, and their willingness to put forth uh, some really, really bad policy uh, on both the social and uh fiscal fronts. Um, I, I wouldn't call it hopeless. You know, the, the American people, as well as Coloradans, are not stupid. Um, they're not well-educated, and they're not well-armed in terms of understanding how to protect their freedom and what freedom means, what rights mean. Um, but I wouldn't say it's completely hopeless. It, it's amazing how that can occur where people think it's hopeless, but just at the time when the, there's an undercurrent of actually better education 
and more freedom-minded people who are, who are getting involved. How about you? Do you think it's hopeless? No, I don't. I, I mean, I, I have heard and I agree that I think at the state level, for Republicans this year in Colorado, it was an extinction level event. Yeah. We had it used to be probably starting after our last Republican governor was Bill Owens. After he left office, I think in '06, we've had Democrat governors, but it used to be that for whatever reason, people would split their tickets, and we would have a Democrat governor, but we would have a Republican Secretary of State and other Republican statewide offices. Not <laughs> that, that's not the case anymore. So. I think on the state level. Well, and I, th- I think that's a really good thing to bring up because we had a fairly, what I would call moderate uh, Republican Senate candidate in Joe O'Day. And uh, I I had the opportunity to meet with him twice, not just me individually, but with a, a small group of us. And he didn't reflect what I, what I would consider to be uh, a extreme pro-freedom, pro-capitalist, small government position. Um, but he got... He got creamed. He did, and I, I think again it goes back to that that whole issue of uh, um, you know people wanting people in Colorado wanting to send a message to the the uh, the Trump faction of the Republican Party, or or maybe what they view as the entire Republican Party now. Yes, um, because O'Day had come out and said he might campaign against Trump in twenty twenty four. So this was not a you know, Trump loving <laughs> crazy person. No, and so that got the, the, the people who are, who might normally have been sa- said, I'm going to vote on the Republican ticket no matter what, because Bennett is this bad of a socialist or supporter of Biden. Yeah. And so I'm going to vote for uh, a guy like O'Day. They didn't vote for him because they were that far, uh, you know, on team Trump. Right. And then you had some in who, who were moderates in the, in the middle who said, you know, uh, on the Democratic side, who said, even though this is a guy I might want to vote for in a normal election, we got a stake. Yeah. 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 But I think to your question, Mike, of do I think, you know, do I think things are hopeless? I don't. At the state level, I just, you brought it up. The state legislature in particular is just, I think, really putting through bad bills. But locally, I think that's where a lot of us really can make differences and make our voice be heard in ways that we don't even know. City councils, county commissioners, we hear more about school boards these days. They've been more in the news. But there are a lot of local boards and commissions that can have a lot of influence on how we live our lives, even our HOAs. And those are places where I think it's not hopeless because we can actually have a very loud voice in those arenas. Absolutely. And, and the, the one sort of general issue we haven't touched on that I think is still alive, it, it, the window is closing, but the whole issue of education and you know, involvement in your schools, uh, school board elections is, is important, uh, fighting for more choice, more transparency uh, in education. Is, you know, I think coming out of COVID, that was one of the hottest issues. And I think... Um, the Republicans have, have squandered that opportunity in some ways. I mean, they, we saw that, that affect the election in, uh, in Virginia, and, and, um, but it wasn't this year. And I think this year there weren't, there weren't enough Republicans who stayed laser-focused on the, the dire strait of our schools, the dire situation of our schools, and how they are they're preaching an anti-freedom message. 
and that we need more, more, more choice and more transparency in the whole school system. Um, but I think that's, going back to your point of where involvement can make a difference, I think people who are involved in their schools or, or fight for more, more options and more choice uh, can really, really over the long term make a huge difference. Yeah, and I think, and I know, you know, based on states, school boards have different powers and, you know, all kinds of local politicians have different sorts of powers. But at least here in Colorado, our local county officials, many of them actually are very powerful. They are. So it's very important to keep, as you've said, laser focused on what are your, what are your people in your city council doing? What are they doing at the county level? And, and that's where there's always hope, I think, to make a change. And yeah. as Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. And I kind of agree with him. No, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, so, uh, you know, what's a capitalist to do? Uh, as I mentioned before, think strategically about their vote. Um, thinking in terms of, you know, not necessarily at this point, at least in my view, that either party represents uh, anything close to freedom. Um, hopefully we'll see better candidates out of both parties in the future. I mean, we, one more point on Colorado, there, you know, the, the whole issue of, of, you know, is it hopeless and, and has it become co-opted by people who've moved in from California? I mean, that's, that's a question, right? Uh, is, there, is there a cultural shift in Colorado that is in almost uh, unassailable or, un, uh, you know, impossible to, to reverse? But, you know, the people who've moved in from California uh, are seeing the crime. Uh, they're seeing their... They're, they're seeing inflation. They're seeing uh, schools that are not doing the job. Um, so, again, I, I don't think it's impossible, but it is interesting to watch how that, that cultural change has happened uh, because of an influx of, of um, people from other states. Any comments on that, Mitch? No, I think it's important to know that there is no perfect candidate. And you said a little while ago, you know, you, you always vote, and, and I do too. I always vote. I, I feel as though it's part of my duty as a citizen. But I when, I when I first registered to vote, oh, I'd get so mad when people told me they didn't vote. I said, what is wrong with you? You don't understand what it means to be an American. But now I'm like, I kind of understand what you mean. You know, you don't feel like no matter who you vote for, maybe— Maybe both candidates make you want to throw up. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the, the the parties and their candidates have earned that. Um, uh, and I don't want people who are voting who are just saying, uh, you know, I'm voting to vote. If they haven't got really much of an opinion, I'd rather them stay home or not not uh, put a ballot out there. Um, it's weird because I do think, like like you said, I was raised with the idea. I don't believe it's a duty anymore. I, I may have, maybe at one point in time I thought that. I, I don't know that I really ever did, but I thought it was you know, it's a precious thing to to have freedom. Um, people who have much of an education, who've traveled and actually observed other cultures, realize how precious that is. Um, and the vote is one way to preserve it. Um, it's an important way, but but how you live your life on a day to day basis, how you interact with your your family, how you interact with your friends, how you actually conduct your business, how productive you are, and then perhaps you know how you magnify whatever voice you have beyond the vote. I mean, if you're talking to someone about the election, and and you're in a group, a small group, and you're rational, and you're talking about 
you know, the, the ideas in a, in a thoughtful way and understanding, you know, the, the commonality that people have, you know, because I, I don't believe like George Bush said that every, every human being has, you know, sort of freedom imprinted on their heart at all. I mean, we, most of human history has shown that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that's the case. <laughs> but I do believe that there, there, you know, that we, we as human beings uh, survive and thrive by the use of our mind. You know, as I say, often is the, you know, it's the human mind is the source of all wealth, and not just wealth in the in the context of material wealth, but wealth and 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 values in any way we any way we can think of, including spiritual values. It, it is the human mind, um, and it, the human not, mind needs freedom to function. That's that's part of our our case of defending and championing a system, a political system that recognizes individual rights. Each individual has to be able to use their own judgment. Uh, for what's right for them. And they may be, maybe make mistakes, and that's part of the beauty of a system, that they, they can mis- make mistakes and can learn from their mistakes rather than have an authority uh, who's telling them what to do. And and so, you know, I, I, again, it's important for people to vote and participate in the system, and there is absolutely hope when we talk about uh, you know people becoming more educated about what kind of system we have, first of all, and whether it is worth preserving. Which I think is absolutely it is. Um, we're on the right track. We're on the wrong track right now, but it's not terminal. There's uh, there's plenty of avenues for hope, and there's plenty of um, plenty of good uh, good people and uh, opportunities to to have those good people become even better in the way they uh, conduct themselves themselves as citizens. So I think no matter who you are, who you voted for in 2022, the way things have turned out. <laughs> Nothing is really hopeless at the national level. Not too much probably is really going to change for two years to a large extent. So, you know, I think have hope. Be willing to use your vote to maybe not vote for who the perfect candidate is, but for one who will move the needle towards freedom next time. Yeah, and I would say, I, the last thing I would say, Mitch, is that uh, on this this whole idea is be, people should become more clear about their own ideology. You know, we're advocating for this ideology of capitalism, this ideology of individual rights, having the proper role of government, staying engaged as, as a citizen to preserve that freedom. But and people should chew on that and not necessarily take that at face value and say, "Well, okay, I'm a capitalist because you know because these guys sound like they know what they're talking about." But they should choose. They should make a conscious choice. You know, what is the system that really will allow for me to, th- me and my family to thrive and to, for me to live in a culture and a, a, uh, a system that, that actually, that I want to live in? Um, they should make a conscious choice. And then when they have, they should definitely advocate for that. And, and we're here again to advocate for that system that, that we know and ha- can, can show people and prove is the most successful at providing for freedom and human flourishing. And that is the system of capitalism. And I appreciate everyone listening. Hopefully you found this little recap of the election helpful. Thank you, Mitch, again for being here. And and we'll be looking forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds good.